Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Well, good evening. Do, uh, do keep that passage open in front of you. Um, and um, I've got a question for us, just um, if you need to be uh, finding it again. Um, let me ask you this. Um, why do you come to church? Now, I don't mean that in a sort of hostile way, um, but um, let me just give you a few seconds to think about that question. Why do you come to church? And I'm going to pray for us as we come to look at this passage. Our Lord God, your word says that the one you esteem is the one who is humble and contrite and trembles at your word. We pray that that attitude might be ours in the Lord Jesus this evening. Help me to speak clearly as I ought and humbly sitting under your word, seeking to explain it. Help us to hear with humble and faithful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that question, why do you come to church? I wonder if uh, you were asked that, how you would answer in a sentence or two. Uh, It might be you're here this evening, and your answer to that is very simple. My friend invited me. I'm just here having a look. I'm not really sure. Um, It's a question I'm often asked by friends who aren't Christians. Church isn't part of their life, and actually, um, they're just curious why it's such an important part of mine. Why do you go to church, Andy? And the answer that I always give them is, um, well, why don't you come and see for yourself? So if that's you and uh, you're here and you've been invited, then um, that's great. I'm really, I'm delighted that you're here. And I hope that as we look at this passage together, you'll see some of the reasons that Christians think that church is a really important thing. And more than that, a wonderful thing, a good thing. Um, It's also a question which um, from time to time I've been asked by Christian friends. Uh, So it might be that... um, Uh, You are moving on from Sheffield at some point in the near future. I guess I'm looking at some of the students who will be graduating in um, what's only a few weeks now, really, isn't it? And um, you'll be moving on to a new town soon. And actually, um, the question is, um, what sort of church to look for in the town that you move to? You know that it's important to be part of one, but um, what sort of church should you look for? Uh, And that's really a question that boils down to why you go to church, why you come to church because that will define the sort of church that you're looking to go to. Um, it might be that um, this is a question that um, has been asked of you, like me, by, um, by a Christian friend who, who just struggles to feel a part of church. Um, so I think of a delightful friend called John. Um, he's a wonderful Christian guy, but he's just very, very introverted. And actually, he finds being part of a, a big church gathering to be quite hard-going, and so we've had very honest conversations where he's just been asking the question, well, you know, I've got, um, I've got a Bible at home, and um, to be honest, the preaching online is actually a lot better than the preaching when I go to church, and um, certainly when the student minister is preaching, and um, why do I need to go to church? What's the value added of being there when I find it really hard, actually? And um, that really boils down to the question, doesn't it? Why do you come to church. I wonder how you'd answer that in a sentence or two. Um, we're looking at this passage from Ephesians 4 this evening, and um, Ephesians is a wonderful letter all about the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, but it's also a letter about the church, because in Ephesians, Paul says that when, um, when you trust in Jesus, 
Um, you're not just connected to Jesus, but you're also connected to his people, the church. And so God's rescue plan is not just for individuals, but to bring people together. He paints a beautiful picture of the church, and we're going to see something of what it looks like in practice this evening. And um, of course, it's um, small group reshaping Sunday, which is nice uh, if you can say it. And um, uh, I hope that we will see that Paul's vision for um, why to come to church and what church is all about, its purpose, why we do what we do, is one in which small groups make perfect sense. Actually, one in which being part of a small group would be an essential thing, really. So two reasons um, from Ephesians 4 why to come to church. Two reasons to come to church. Firstly, we gather to grow together. Paul says we gather to grow together. Have a look at verse 12 with me again. Uh, The second half of verse 12, Paul points to the aim of church and he says um, that... um, Uh, these different gifts are given to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's that word Paul and Peter both mentioned already of maturity. Now, I wonder if you were ever asked the question when you were a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, it may be that some people are still asking you that question. Um, when, um, when I was a child, I had my heart set on being an ice cream man. Now, I, I know some of the youth group have got their heart set on, you know, accountant, doctor, all of that sort of stuff. Um, I had a friend from New Zealand, and we had a master plan that during the British summertime, we would be ice cream men here. And then here's the clever part. When it got cold in the UK, we'd just head to, um, head to New Zealand and be ice cream men there. I think that's pretty sophisticated for a preschooler. But what did you want to be when you grew up? Paul says the aim of the church is to grow up. It's to reach maturity. That when we come together as a church, it's not a static thing, as Paul said at the beginning of the service, but it's, we're moving towards something towards maturity and notice how he defines maturity at the end of verse 13 attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ so to be mature means to be like Jesus Christ that's the aim that we are growing towards to be like Christ and Paul breaks it down in two ways there in verse 13 I wonder if you noticed them Um, reaching unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Let's just think about those for a moment. We gather to grow, and part of that is knowledge of the Son of God. Uh, Paul says that as we grow to know Jesus Christ more, as we grow to love him more, we'll become more like him. There are these two wonderful prayers in Ephesians, and knowing Jesus is at the heart of what Paul prays for the Ephesians in both of them. So have a look back to chapter 1, verse 17 for a moment. In chapter 1, verse 17, Paul prays, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Or again, his other prayer in chapter 3, wonderful prayer. And in chapter 3, just join me in the second half of verse 17. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp 
how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Do you see, Paul says that as we grow to know Christ and love him, we'll become more mature as Christians. We will grow up. You know, um, maybe, you know, the best of old married couples grow to be more like one another, don't they? You know, remarkable people who've been married together, uh, uh, married a long time and they have the same sense of humour and the same sort of quirky habits and that sort of thing. And it comes because they know each other so well and have loved each other for so long. And Paul says, as we get to know Jesus, as we see the goodness of his character, the greatness of his work for us, we grow to love him and to become more like him. And that's what it is to be mature as a Christian, to become like Jesus Christ. And so let me ask you a question this evening. When you, um, when you were thinking of why you come to church, did your answer include that I come to church to grow as a Christian? Uh, my son Tom is um, just coming up for three years old. He loves nothing better than to put on his wellies and to go jump up and down in muddy puddles. Um, anyone who's ever seen an episode of Peppa Pig will understand what his reasoning is for this. That's great for him, but it's embarrassing if I do it because I'm a grown man. And Paul says that for the Christian, our aim for the church is to grow, to become like Jesus, to be mature. So do you come to church to grow? Uh, it's, it's, just, it's easy to coast in the Christian life, isn't it? I'm, I'm comfortable with my involvement at church. I'm, I'm comfortable with the relationships I have with other Christians and comfortable with what I currently know about Jesus, my current level of godliness. And so it's easy to just, to just coast along, to be happy with things, how they're going. And Paul says that the church is there, we gather together to grow I wonder when the last time was that you thought about how you were doing in your Christian life. Uh, Maybe sit down with a friend and say, in what areas do we need to grow over the next six months so that by the time I get to Christmas, I I can see that I've become more like Christ in that area, to press on to be more like him. But look, notice that Paul doesn't just say that church exists so individuals can grow. Actually, that's missing the other big thing he says in verse 13, which is until, uh, built up until we reach unity in the faith. Do you see, we don't just gather to grow as lots of individual consumers. We gather to grow together in unity. The body of Christ is not one person, but the whole church gathered together. Um, you know, we live in a world... That is deeply divided, don't we? You turn on the news and you see um, war throughout various countries in the Middle East at the moment as people are killing each other. And you, you go on Facebook, and if your Facebook feed is anything like mine, the bitter sort of political differences, um, <clears throat> political differences between people, I mean, it's just remarkable, isn't it, the things that people will post about the people that they hate. And... Um, We might think about our own lives and just think of um, the personality clashes that we see, the the members of our family who don't get on. We live in a world that is deeply divided. And in Ephesians, Paul says that God's plan, his rescue plan, is not just to save individuals, but to heal the divisions between people, to unite people together through Jesus Christ. Uh, just turn back to Ephesians 1 verse 10 with me for a moment. 
I'll start reading from chapter 1, verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times had reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Do you see, God's big plan for human history, it's not just about an individual and God... It's about bringing together all people under Christ. And the first stage of that is the church. God's wisdom is shown as deeply divided, deeply different people as they come to Christ. They're not just united to him, but to one another in the church. The wisdom of God is shown when you guys who are very different from one another in many ways, are united together by Christ. That first stage of God's plan. So you see, growing to maturity as a Christian is not something you can do on your own. Uh, If you like, um, the church, um, uh, the Christian faith, it's, it's not like tennis so much as football or rugby. It's a team sport, Now, of course, by nature, we're not mature like this. We're not united together by nature. Have a look at verse 14. Paul says in verse 14, Then, when we reach maturity, we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Do you know, as individuals, we like to think that we're quite um, balanced that we have quite a sort of sane understanding of life and of the Bible. And Paul says that on our own, by nature, we're actually not like that. We're like a little boat without a rudder caught in a storm, able to be blown off course in all manner of directions. Uh, The immature um, Christian, the immature church, is one that's blown backwards and forwards by every wind of teaching, every new fad, every new idea and teaching that comes in, it might be the obvious false teaching. You know, it might be the, um, the lie of um, liberal theology which says the Bible is not to be trusted. Uh, the lie that Jesus is not divine or that he didn't rise from the dead. And um, it cuts us off from knowing Jesus, growing to love him more and becoming like him. Um, It might be something more subtle than that. It might be something that accepts Jesus, but Jesus is not central. Actually, the thing that we're really excited about is, well, you need to have that spiritual experience. You need to go to that conference, read that book. It, It might even be that system of doctrine, which is true, but we make it into our judge of whether someone's a Christian or not. And Jesus is just shunted to one side for my knowledge of doctrine or something like that. And Paul says that without one another, well, we're immature. We're easily blown off course and away from Jesus. You see, you cannot grow to maturity as a Christian on your own. You know, I mean, Paul describes Christian maturity all through the second half of Ephesians. But I mean, since it's in front of us, have a look at chapter four, where he says in verse two, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, at the risk of stating the obvious, you cannot be humble and gentle or patient or bear with other people if there are no other people there. Do you see, you cannot 
grow to maturity as a Christian on your own. We gather together to be united and to show the wisdom of God as we grow like Christ together, his one body. And um, I guess I probably don't need to say it, but we think that small groups are an excellent way of expressing that unity. Uh, You can have the sort of deep relationship with a few in a small group that we can't um, have here on a Sunday. Ah, you'll say, but hold on, I've got my friends at church. I already have the people I come with, and we have that depth of relationship. What do I need a small group for? Well, Well, look, when you're put in a small group where we're being deliberate about growing together, you're put in a group with people who may not be like you. They might be older or younger. They might be um, uh, in a different kind of job. They may not be the sort of personality you're immediately drawn to. Let's be honest, they might be annoying. But you see, the unity that God is creating in his great wisdom by uniting us together is better expressed when you have a deep relationship with those people who are different than you than just your mates who are exactly like you. We gather to grow together. I wonder if that's why we come to church. But then secondly, Paul says, we gather to give to one another. You see, we might ask the question, well, how do we grow together if that's such an important aim? And Paul says that Jesus has actually given us everything that we need. We gather to give to one another. Have a look at verse 11 with me again. It was he Jesus Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastor teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. Now, the New Testament talks about all sorts of different gifts that Jesus gives to the church. You might have all manner of different gifts, but the ones that Paul focuses on here are particularly um, word gifts. So notice the apostle, he gave some to be apostles in verse 11 and some to be prophets. Um, now the apostles are the people who saw the risen Jesus Christ and who Jesus commissioned to be his official spokespeople, if you like. Um, the 12 plus Paul. Uh, the prophets are, it's slightly less clear exactly who Paul means by them. But back in chapter 2 verse 20... He says that God's household, the church, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, um, you probably know much more about construction than I do, but here's about the extent of my knowledge. Um, You only lay the foundation once. You know, all the other layers you build up on top, but you only lay the foundation once, right? And that's the point that Paul is making. The apostles and prophets um, have a foundational role. They're this once-given gift to the church. Uh, Paul says in 3 verse 5 that they're the ones um, to whom God revealed his gospel by his spirit um, to communicate um, in um, the way that Paul does in writing Ephesians. You see, we receive the gift of the apostles and prophets when we take up our Bibles and read them, uh, those foundational gifts. But then notice too, Paul says that he gave some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. Um, Evangelists are people who preach the evangel, that is the gospel. They're um, people who are particularly gifted to share the good news of the gospel. You know, it's um, it's the privilege and joy of every Christian 
to share what we have found in Jesus and to talk about how good he is with our mates. But there are some people who are particularly gifted to do that. If you like, they're like the sort of spiritual midwives who God uses to bring new birth to many people as they proclaim the gospel to them. And so here is a word gift, one who proclaims the apostles' gospel, but then also pastors and teachers. And notice Paul brackets those two together. Now, pastor just means shepherd. And what does a shepherd do? Well, they, I, I guess they lead sheep and they care for them. And by bracketing it together, Paul is saying that the way that um, you lead the church and care for the church is by teaching them the apostles' message, the Bible. And so here is what Jesus has given to his church. Um, The foundational gifts, the apostles and prophets, we find um, them today, their words in the Bible, and people to teach the Bible to us. Uh, If we're going to grow together, we need the Bible to be taught. Here's the surprise, though, because I guess in a church like Christ Church Forward, we hear that and we think, yep, pretty sure I've heard that every week that I've been here. We need the Bible to be taught. Right. Paul says here that teaching the Bible is not enough for the church to grow to maturity, that we need something more than just evangelists, pastor teachers teaching the Bible on a Sunday like this. Have a look again at verses 11 and 12. It was he, Jesus Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, hold on, that's not right, is it? To prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body may be built up. You see, there's a stage in there, in between the teaching of the word and the building up of the body, and it's Um, What the word does as it's taught, prepare God's people for works of service. Uh, Another translation uses the word equip God's people. Um, It's easy to think about coming to church a bit like going to a football match. Um, Bear with me with the um, the sports illustration again. But um, uh, when you go to a football match, you basically, you sit in the crowd... And you watch some overpaid professionals perform in front of you. And it's easy to think about church a bit like that, isn't it? But Paul says here, (laughs) maybe it isn't. Paul says here that what goes on when we gather together is not that we sit and watch other people perform. It's more like... The pastors and teachers and evangelists, Bible in hand, are like coaches on the sideline. Well, better, player coaches, really. And the players on the pitch are the church as they live out obedience to the teaching of the Bible and faith in Jesus together as a team. And the crowd who are watching are a watching world of men and women, girls and boys, and angels and demons who look at the wisdom of God as we grow together, as we serve one another. Do you see, it's not enough to teach the Bible. If we're going to grow, we need not just Bible teaching, but Bible obeying, Bible serving. As a church, we need to take what we hear of the gospel and use it 
to serve one another and to serve our world, but particularly to build one another up. Now, um, why do you come to church then? Do you come to give to one another, to serve one another? Oh, look, there are a thousand ways that we can do that, from making a meal for a family who are having a hard time, to giving someone a lift who doesn't have a car, having someone to stay for a few weeks or months or days, um, looking out for a new person on a Sunday, spending time with someone who we don't necessarily find easy to get on with, but who needs a friend, to any number of other things. You know, and God has gifted you all in different ways. And so as we hear the Bible taught, we will put it into practice by loving and serving one another in all different ways, depending on our gifts and circumstances. But there is one way that Paul particularly mentions in this passage. Have a look at verse 15 with me. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love. This is the thing that Paul picks up as his prime example of works of service, is speaking the truth in love to one another. And, um, and I know what you're thinking. Um, often when we, when we think about speaking the truth in love, we have um, you know, our world's view of unity. Do you know what I mean? Our, our world opposes um, truth and unity um, against one another. If we're going to find unity, the world says we need to go for a sort of lowest common denominator. Find um, the few things we can agree about and ignore the other things. Paul has shown us that our unity is based in more than that. It's based in growing to know and love Christ. But that means we can't oppose truth and love to one another. It's um, It's not speak the truth which basically means bash someone over the head or drop the bomb, but, you know, do it with a loving motivation. He's not saying that. Speaking the truth in Ephesians, um, well, in chapter 1, verse 13, Paul talks about the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So, you see, speaking the truth in love, it, it could be challenging, but it's not necessarily beating someone over the head It's not something that needs to be balanced with love. No, it's loving someone enough to talk to them about Jesus. You know, Paul says that the way that we serve one another, the prime way, is having the sort of depth of relationship, uh, maybe not with everyone here, but with some of the Christians here, that we love them enough to speak about Jesus with them. You know, how easy is it to have Christian friends and all you ever talk about is um, the sport or the weather or, or some, some other thing? You know, I think with shame about friends in churches where we've never got beyond that before, speaking the truth in love means that there are some Christians who I love enough that I speak to them about Jesus that I know what's going on in their life and, and they know what's going on in my life so that as we learn from the Bible together, as it's taught to us, we can help one another to believe God's promises and obey his commands. Uh, it means loving someone enough that when they're struggling, I can put my arm around them and talk to them about the comfort and the hope of the gospel. Uh, yes, it, it does mean loving a friend enough that if they're drifting into a sinful pattern of life or they're believing some false doctrine, that I'll talk to them about that 
even if it makes it awkward. But you see, it's not that truth and love are opposed to one another. No, the thing that builds us up together is precisely when we grow to know and love Christ more. And so speaking truth in love will mean loving people enough to talk about Jesus. And I guess, um, I guess it doesn't need me to tell you that being part of a small group, we think, is an excellent way of doing that. Because precisely in those sort of small groups, we're intentional about um, opening the Bible and studying it together, but sharing our lives and talking about the things that are hard and the times we find it a struggle to believe God's promises and the areas of our lives where actually um, we want to grow together. But let me ask you again. Why do you come to church? Uh, What are your motivations? What do you think is the purpose of what we're doing here? Paul says that we gather together to grow together, to become like Christ as, as a body. And he says the way that we do that is to gather to give to one another, to take what we learn from the Bible about Jesus and to talk to one another about it, to share life and encourage and challenge And I wonder if that's part of your vision for why you come to church. I guess if it is, it'll shape our priorities, won't it? Uh, We'll be dead keen to be part of a small group, and we'll want to be there every week. Uh, We'll want to be around here on a Sunday, actually, won't we? Whether it's at Spud Bar or coffee or whatever else. Because investing in our relationships with one another will be important to us. Come to grow and come to give, says Paul. Let me pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for this grand plan of yours to unite all things together under Christ and in him. And we thank you that the church is that first stage of your plan. We pray that you would help us to live that out in growing together and in serving one another, speaking truth in love. Help us to know how practically we can do that, even this evening as we gather. In Jesus' name, amen.